art on your sleeve. Welcome to Art on Your Sleeve, episode 11. This is a slightly different episode because at the moment we're all locked down trying to avoid COVID-19. So whilst I had plans to interview various different designers and artists across the country, everything's on hold until the lockdown finishes. But what I have done is collaborate with some friends of mine who run the Permanent Record podcast in the USA, Sarah and Brian Lennon. They go into detail about what their show is all about, so I won't cover too much here. But what we did do was each select a single and an album and talk about what we liked about the sleeves. You can find out more information about all the things we talked about in the show notes, which are on my website at softoctopus.co.uk. In my album selection, there's some overlap with the last episode, so I've avoided talking about anything that was covered in that, just so that it doesn't get too boring for listeners. But we've covered an awful lot of ground and we all did a lot of research, so I hope it's helpful, useful and fun. Sit back, enjoy the music, listen to what we say, and most of all, stay safe. So I'm really happy and lucky today to have Brian and Sarah here with me from the Permanent Record Podcast. Hello to you two. Hello. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? Uh, So that people know a little bit about what you do and your podcast, do you want to give a little bit of background information on what the Permanent Record Podcast is? Uh, The Permanent Record Podcast is kind of just a look at those records that, you know, people our age were really into in those those teenage years that we cover kind of early 80s to 1988, I guess, and talk about the great like new wave records, Depeche Mode, Pet Shop Boys, Erasure, New Order. And it sort of stems from, you know, we've listened to them 100 times. So we sort of have a curiosity to find out more about this music. And we do that research and try to find interesting tidbits to come on here and share it with with other pe- other people who who love the same sort of music. So yeah, you cert- you certainly do. I mean, I, when I I think I discovered you quite near near the start. I don't think you'd been doing that many, and I was really impressed by by how deep you dive into the into everything about the releases. Really, from I mean, obviously my podcast's about design and artwork, but you you always touch on that. But you also dig into the production and or the composition and well every aspect of it. It's it's very impressive. Yeah, well, we've ended up being pretty thorough with our research. Um, it's sometimes very difficult, but we usually find things that surprise ourselves and surprise other people when we when we release them. And we're kind of evolving as we go. Like our first episode, which I have to imagine is terrible if you try to listen to it, um, <laughs> we'd cover the entire Upstairs at Eric's album in 55 minutes. And then I know recently we've spent like six hours talking about disintegration. So <laughs> we kind of... <laughs> Uh, have have changed the sta- our standard for how much research has to be done. We try to get more information out to everybody at this point. So what we're going to do today is pick an album and a single each because we had to have some sort of criteria or we would have been speaking for a couple of days about this. So we, we picked one album and one single each, um, ideally from our own personal collections, but not necessarily. Um, they just have to be things that we were interested in from an aesthetic angle. So purely about the the artwork here and the, the design of it. But obviously the records are important as well. So I'm going to start off talking about an artist called Claudia Brooken.
Claudia Brooken started off as a singer in a band called Propaganda. Do you know Propaganda? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so they were one of the one of the bands on ZTT or ZTT? Do you call it ZTT in the States? Yeah, I think we do. Uh, and she was the uh, singer and one of the um, writers for the band. And she went solo and signed to Island Records and released uh, an album and which had a couple of singles from it. This was the second single and it's called Kiss Like Ether. When this record came out, I, I, I think at the time, because we obviously didn't have the internet and things, it was just a case of going to the record shop every Monday when new releases came out. And I remember seeing this on the rack and just thinking, wow, that artwork is just beautiful. Uh, I mean, I liked Claudia anyway, but I bought it immediately just because of the, the album sleeve. If you're familiar with the cover of Low Life by New Order, the vinyl version of it. Did you get the vinyl version over there? Oh, uh, we must have. We have the CD here. Well, when it came out on vinyl, it was it was sort of a standard album, but it had this tracing paper wrap around on it that folded inside the cover, and it was printed inside. And it was it was very it was very decadent packaging, and this sort of took that idea and um, took it up a notch really, because it's um, all the different, it's a bit like when you work in Photoshop and you have different layers of things. Well, this is like a physical manifestation of Photoshop layers, because you've got the, the basic cardboard sleeve with this gorgeous colorful print on it, a sort of uh, a bit psychedelic really, but it's obscured by this tracing paper wraparound, which is printed in full color as well. And then it's also varnished on top of that with this sort of matte and gloss effect. So it's just, it's really beautifully done. Um, and there's, because there's different things on the different layers, it just looks really sumptuous. That's a good word, sumptuous. Um, <laughs> and the photography on it as well is by the Douglas brothers who, who I, I love their work. I did actually write an article about them for, for classic pop. They've done, they've worked with so many people, but the, the pictures that they took of Claudia for the cover are really, really beautiful. The artwork was put together by Island Art. So Island Records, everyone will have heard of, you know, they mainly have uh, reggae bands, but that's not necessarily the case. People like the Buggles were on Island Records and ZTT was a sort of offshoot of that, like an independent arm of Island Records. So the artwork was by Island Art, which was the studio who was responsible for all of the releases from Island or most of the releases. And it was by somebody called Tim Vary. I don't know much about Tim other than that now he works at DesignBridge, which is a big international agency, but what he's done for this, this is just gorgeous really. And it, looking at it online doesn't really do it justice, I don't think. You know, you need to sort of, it's an example of design that you actually, actually have to feel, really it has a real tactile quality as well as a visual loveliness. I had no idea this was because of the fact I'm only seeing it online, I had no idea this has different components to it. So there's actually two different components to it, the, the cardboard sleeve and then one overlay, or there's two overlays? There's 
this one overlay, but it's sort of made up of two things because it's partially, it's it's got a kind of gloss varnish on it, but it's a partial gloss varnish. So uh, certain things sort of, the color pops on them because there's varnish on them. And then other things, it looks like they're sort of matte and f fading out slightly just because the varnish doesn't give it that lift. But it's really, um, it, it, they've spent a long time on on this design. Yeah, it almost looks embossed in this picture. For, for the amount of money that they've put into this as well you know knowing a bit about design um and, and printing that hasn't been cheap to produce and this this single wasn't even a hit so i think the record company probably lost a lot <laughs> a lot of money particularly as there was even there was another version of it released um you know back in the day there were always two two 12 inch versions in the uk for singles and with this one there was another version that came out and it came in like a really stiff cardboard box like a really i've got that here as well it's like a proper you know you could wow. take you you could take your lunch to work in it uh, <laughs> and it's like how much money they threw at claudia brook and in those days is just incredible you know the the investment in in the design of things was just wonderful really and that's what i really miss about the digital age that you don't have that anymore oh yeah our album artwork in the digital ages is, is uh, such a disappointment yeah. yeah but this this cover must have helped a little bit because i think i saw this uh, like you said, it wasn't a hit. It got to, I think, 63 or something like that. But it was the biggest hit off the record. It did better than the first single, which was Absolute, I think. Yes, yes, it so was. It's got, you know, usually that first single is the one that people are excited about. It's the artist is back and we're going to jump on this first single. So for the second single to do better, it, it may have had some impact. Yeah, I mean, she's always been a bit of an underground artist, really. She's one of those people that's... That most people have heard of and a lot of people have even worked with you know if she's worked with um just trying to think of people martin gore she he he played on one of her albums she was i think she was married to paul humphreys from omd or if she wasn't married to him they were together for a long time and they had a band called one two and then she did a duet with glenn gregory from heaven 17 and andy bell sung on stuff with her as well i went to see her actually at a concert in london on in uh, 2011 because she very rarely tours or does concerts and she did this one-off concert in london and brought all of those people along and it was martin wasn't there unfortunately but all of these people that she worked with were all on stage with her for one song and it was a really nice it was a great great sort of showcase gig really it was uh, felt very special to be there Wow, that's so you saw you saw her do that song with Andy Bell from Electric Blue. Yes, yes, that's what she did, and he wow. sang another. Yeah, he did another song with her as well. I think I can't remember now because obviously it's nearly ten years ago. But there is a video of it, um, which I have got, and I'm, I must watch that again actually. Called This Happened, um, but it was a great concert, and it, musically it was really good as well. You know, it was like. It looked like an Apple store on the stage. It was like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually watched I watched the music video for this song, but I also watched the, the version of this song from that concert. This happened. I remember that yeah. being in the title. It was a really good version. I, I'm a fan of Claudia's work, but I don't think this is one of her best songs. I don't, I don't even really think it's one of the best songs on the album, but it was just lifted by by the artwork for me, which is why I, why I picked it. I love it too. I, and it it did exactly what it was supposed to do as far as catching your eye on a record shop shelf. I mean, yeah. I can see that that's the intent here with all the different colors and layers. And yeah, you see this sitting somewhere, you're going to take a second look. I think it's relatively striking just seeing it here on my computer screen. Whenever I was going through the different graphics yesterday to get ready for the show, this is actually my favorite cover that we're going to talk about. 
Um, whenever I see it, though, I saw the record before I listened to to the song, and I was just based on this art. For some reason, I was really anticipating like an aggressive, um, heavy electronic single, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be great." And then it, you know, it turns out to be relatively like a sophisticated electronic single, which surprised me. I really like it. I think personally, I'm a little bothered by the black stripe across the top. I, th- <laughs> I wish that that was put on the back of the record, even though I understand you want your artist's name sort of to be on the front. But I think it would be nicer if we got a perfect square with just the graphics and, and put the name and the artist's name on the back. Yeah. I agree, actually. I'm going to contact Tim Vary and tell him to do a new version. Yeah, <laughs> tell him to do it right this time. <laughs> well, Claudia did like the tweet that I put out that we were talking about this. I saw that. <laughs> oh, very good. That's pretty cool. So hopefully she'll have something to say. I looked up a bit more of his work, Tim Vary. I wanted to see what else he'd done. And and I see there's a bit of a theme with, with his covers because it's like a spiral circular theme. There was a group called B-R-O-T-H-E-R. And I won't say brother because it's spelled with like periods between each name or each letter. <laughs> And that cover, um, Beyond the 16th Parallel, there's definitely a circular spiral theme. Julian Cope had one on his EP, East Easy Rider, and Rockers Hi-Fi had one on their single, What a Life. So I think that's something that he must have gravitated towards as he did these designs. We're going to have a theme with circles here on our show. Our, our next one that you pick, Sarah, when I hit spacebar to replace my Claudia graphic with your graphic, uh-huh. it is also going to have a circle right in the center of, this, of the picture, Correct. just like this one. So should we move on to uh, Sarah's choice? Sure. That was a lovely segue. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) So what have you picked, Sarah, for your first single? Oh, I picked a single, which was really a one-off single by The Cure, and it's called The Love Cats. has always been known for not only their music but their design and their artwork and what I think is really neat about that is the fact that one of their band members one of their back and forth band members you could say is a part of that and so this this artwork was done by a company called Parched Art and one of the members of that um, company is Pearl Thompson who's been a guitarist in The Cure and the other member is Andy Vela. Andy Vela's bio explains how he met Pearl Thompson on the train. They went on to form Parched Art, but it also says that he was the photographer for the album Faith and the single Primary, so he takes sole credit for those. I don't know how much of this cover or the other artwork that they've done, um, who does what. I cannot tell. There's not like anything that says, well, I did the lettering and I did the graphics or whatever, but um, it's really interesting to me when uh, two artists collaborate so frequently and for such a long time and how they you know work together to do that i interviewed um andy vela for um for classic pop uh, for a pop art feature and he, he, i was interested in that angle as well and he he never did never went into who who did what which i think is a really nice democratic way of working and because it's hard to see isn't it you would never know oh well that's got more of Paul and that's got more of Andy it's just it, and the, the work is so distinctive as well the, this particular single is a is a bit different to a lot of the, the the later stuff but you can still tell it's got that sort of swirly spirally slightly hippie like quality to it right right yeah I really like this cover 
you know, I'm always a fan of the hand lettering that they do on their albums and their singles. I like on this one how the O in love looks like a cat's eye. <laughs> I think that's really neat. I like the back of it too. You know, there's lots of hand lettering on that and then the kind of gradient coloring on the back. And then that whole swirly background on the front and the back, plus the uneven edges, it just kind of gives a whole sense of motion to the to the cover. It does. It's got a, it's got a very naive quality to it as well. I think this it's, it's uh, it lacks some of the sophistication of the later design work. Right, because this is all the way back in 1983, so they hadn't really done a whole lot together yet yeah and it, as a single it was i think the war could been a hit before this and let's go to bed had been a minor hit so they were they were in terms of commercial success they were a bit of a new act i think yeah i think this was their top first top 10 mm-hmm. yeah in the, it was in the uk right mm-hmm. this is a perfect graphic i think for the cure as they existed at, at this time because like andrew just said you know in less than one year and 11 months they have had three which i think three awesome singles and let's go to bed, which is like really quirky pop. It's a super strange follow-up to their last single, which was something off of the pornography album. Mm. And then the walk comes out, and it's very dark and gloomy, but it still has that electronic sound to it. And then we get this song, which I don't even know what this. I consider this to be some sort of weird <laughs> jazz pop, yeah, almost. And um, you know, the the text here is colorful and fun. You get that eye-catching background which just sort of catches, it'll catch your eye because of the fact, like you said, Sarah, it's not a square. It's, I mean, it is a square, but it's sort of like it's made out of cloth or something. So it's not, there's no straight edges. And those cats, man, that at first I was like, oh, look at those, look at those cute cats. But then I looked at them closer and I was like, oh my God, they are disturbing. <laughs> and I don't even know what it is that's making me disturbed about them. But well. especially that cat on the right, he's like, his face, his, his eyes, he's looking right into my soul and he does not like what he's seeing. And I don't like him looking at me. Yeah, the cat heads are like definitely cut and pasted over top of, you know, the image that you're seeing. They're not trying to make it look like it blends in at all. It looks almost like a little, um, like like a window into it as well, doesn't it? It's like it's like they've created some sort of little vignette, some scene, and, the, and cut a hole in it. And you're looking through almost like a porthole at them dancing around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a secret life of cats, right? <laughs> <laughs> so wait, what are we? These are cat masks on top of what? They look like cat puppets because all the legs are all disjointed and sticking out at different angles as well, aren't they? Yeah, and that would make sense because in the video they ended up using a lot of cat. Um, well, they were. I think they were actually taxidermy cats, but they weren't real cats. So I can see that kind of following through here on the the record sleeve where it's kind of disturbing looking versions of cats just like in the video (laughs) it's certainly bizarre and i think as you said the song is bizarre anyway so i do think it's uh, it's nicely complimentary yeah this is definitely another one i think that is rather eye-catching if you see this on the record shop shelf you'll see oh what is what am i looking at what is what is this you're right about the lettering their their lettering is is always awesome Uh, this era and uh, of course, disintegration era, and and wish even I think. Yeah. They have like really clever fonts here on these these forty uh, fives. I, I think it's quite nice because it's become a signature style. Well, no pun intended. It's become a signature style for the Cure to have that sort of handwritten quality, hasn't it? Yes, I would say so. Mm. So should we move on to our third and final single? This one, I believe, is yours, Brian. And what have you picked? All right. I've gone with a single that does not have a circle right in the middle of the sleeve. Unlike you guys, I've gone with one that has a bird on the sleeve. 
because if you're given a choice of a of a record cover to pick, why wouldn't you pick one with a bird on it? <laughs> so I've gone with Depeche Mode single. It's called a heart. So this is a song that the band's not very fond of. They see this as sort of a, a back backward step in the development of their sound. And after I started researching it, I sort of thought maybe I made a mistake as well because there wasn't too much out here that, that I found in terms of inf information for the single. But just as I was about to give up some great information, I just stumbled upon it and, and I ended up being really happy that I went with this one. So let me just tell you the, the basic background information about about the sleeve first and then I'm going to tell you a cool story. So, like I said, the band doesn't really like this too much. Musically, I think it's pretty cool. It's a fun pop melody. Lyrically, it's it's far from their best. I mean, we have lyrics like, there's a sun shining in the sky, but that's not the reason why I'm feeling warm inside. <laughs> uh, Martin, you could do better. You can do better. So, it goes on to spend four weeks on the UK chart and peaks at number 18. The single right before this, another stopgap single like this one, Shake the Disease, also hit number 18. But the sleeve itself, kind of a, a oddly drawn figure waving his hand trying to shoo away some sort of weird bird. And it is an illustration by Tamara Capillaro, who, based on what I can find, is T and CP Associates. Not 100% sure, but I couldn't find any record of anyone else being part of this design. I've got the story behind that. Shall I chip in with that? Sure. <laughs> so... TNCP was town and country planning who did a lot of stuff for Mute Records uh, and did a lot of design work generally, but they, they designed a lot of the uh, Mute, Mute releases, including things like the assembly and, you know, very, very graphic things. Uh, they did a lot of the Depeche stuff. Um, and it was the studio of a man called Martin Atkins, who's now a film producer in the States. And he sold his studio to Stilo Rouge, which is a, a, a company in the UK who... A big, they did a lot of stuff for Howard Jones and many, many, many record sleeves. Um, so Tamara Capillaro, I think if I've pronounced it correctly, was somebody who, who town who TNCP commissioned for the illustration on this. And then they wrapped the graphics sort of around hair illustration work really. So the typography and the layout will have been by TNCP and the illustration was by um, Ms. Capillaro. Oh, okay. I Because I couldn't find anything on TNCP, every time I typed it in and tried to Google it, I would just get stuff on TCPIP, the computer protocol. <laughs> um, I sort of was assuming that T and CP were like her initials, the T for the first name and CP for her, for the last name. I didn't realize I was totally off. I could recommend a very, very uh, good pop art feature in Classic Pop magazine. <laughs> oh, how, how embarrassing for me. <laughs> and it was actually the biggest issue. I think it was like a 10-page feature that I did on that one because there was just so much work. So, yeah, go, go back into your archive and there's lots of, uh, lots of work on TNCP in that article. I'll check it out. I have every <laughs> issue, so I must own that one. I can only find three record sleeve credits for Tamara and one children's book, which came out in 1989. It was called Earth, Air, Fire, and Water. So if you look at this record and if you know your Depeche Mode, you can tell right away she also did the artwork for Shake the Disease. And then the other record that I found for her was by a group called Diesel Park West, and their song was When the Hoodoo Comes. And one thing that I thought was funny was that the single by Diesel Park West 
had a big sticker on it that said, expect to pay no more than 99 pence. And then I looked at my UK import special limited edition twin set for its call to heart. And it says right here on the artwork, costing no more than two pounds and 99 pence. So I was wondering, was she cursed to only work on budget releases? <laughs> Every time she does artwork, they slap something on there telling you, don't pay too much for this. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird thing that used to happen back then, that a lot of records would have that on them. Um, and I, I don't know why, because I suppose because some places would, would charge more if they could, and it was just a way of guaranteeing that people weren't going to get ripped off, so they would probably be more likely to buy it. Particularly in a, a, in the case, this case because it was a double uh, double um, single, wasn't it? So if shops right. felt if shops felt like they could charge double the price, they might sell half as many, which would impact on the sale. So the Diesel Park West cover has a bird on it, and it looks pretty much what you would expect it to look like if you look at the bird on this cover. And um, Tamara says that these two bits of art that she did for Depeche Mode were commissioned by Daniel Miller. She says in the 1980s and. I was wondering if you know if he liked your style and just wanted to have them available for a band in need of a sleeve, or if he wanted them specifically for Depeche Mode. I couldn't find anything that said that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That whether when sometimes art that feels a bit incongruous, kind of trying to work out what came first. Yeah, it's a good point. So they because of the fact that you know they would usually offer multiple singles for these mute artists. The same bit of artwork has been manipulated to create three different sleeves. And I think, Andrew, you said like the basic, the regular maybe um, sleeve is sort of this orange colored man on a blue background. Yeah, on a very sort of purpley blue background, that, but it fills the whole sleeve up. Um, and at the time I bought this this one because it had limited edition on it. So everyone wanted the limited edition one because I was such a big fan. I bought the other one as well, even though it was just one of the records that was in this one. I just bought it because because <laughs> I had to have every single Depeche Mode 12-inch single. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's how I was too. I think on that one, the bird is actually on the flip side. I don't think the bird's actually on the cover. So they flipped the bird? Oh, they <laughs> so then the one that I'm here looking at sort of has the orange man over to the right in a blue stripe. And there's the bird on the front in there with him kind of on the ground in front of him. And then there was a third one that I've never seen in real life, but I saw it in a book. It has a black and white kind of version of the man drawn the same way, but they flip him vertically. So he's facing the other direction and he's being attacked by a, a larger red bird. It's the same drawing of the bird. It's just much bigger. Have you seen that one? That's the seven inch single. Okay. Yeah. So the seven inches is the black and red, and the twelve inches the blue and orange, and then the limited edition one is the white and blue and orange. I'm gonna have to check that because I actually have the seven inch single from I forget where, but it has a fold out poster in it too, I think. Oh. And I don't remember that seeing that cover before, but maybe I do have it. So that was basically what I found out about the record. I was like, Oh, okay, I found out who who did the illustration and that there were three different versions. That's kind of disappointing. And I went back and did, did one final look to see what I could find, what else I could find about Tamara. And I stumbled upon a website called walkingthewirewell.co.uk. And it is her sharing drawings and sculpture for you to go check out. But there's very little information about her, just pictures of, of the drawings and a few sentences of commentary. And then I found, I don't even know how I got here, but on Twitter, I found someone named Catherine Lazenby. And she says, walking the wire well was led by artist Tamara Capillaro and provided a space of refuge from the clinical environments of the hospital wards. Weekly workshops were held in the old Victorian water tower. 
We would draw, make music, talk, be ourselves. It had a profound impact on me while I was an inpatient. So I looked into this, and I found a little 11-minute movie that was based on this project called Walking the Wire Well. It was just a place for people that were in hospital for mental issues. They could get out of the hospital and get away from verbal therapy and therapy, therapy with doctors to go to this. It was an abandoned water tower that Tamara decorated inside with artwork by her and these people that came and created art. And they would go and sit in here and they would paint, they would sculpt, they would sew, they would write music. There was one guy who was kind of tightrope walking almost. He had a, a, a strand of lights that were, they were only hung like a foot or so off the ground, but he was walking on that as part of some sort of like performance art. And the movie just goes on to explain, you know, the purpose of the, the workshop, that it wasn't therapy itself, but after days of therapy in the hospital, it gave the patients a place to stop thinking about their problems and allow them to channel their energy and sort of forget that they were in the hospital because they were not well. And they, they kind of funneled their worry into art. Once or twice in the video, they mentioned Tamara, but she's not ever in the video. They never interview her, but people talk about what a good impact she made on them and how it really helped them as they were going through this therapy. And I was like, whoa, that's amazing. And when you look in the, in the video, you see some art hanging on the walls that you can tell is, is her artwork because even years later, she still does like this distortion of like the basic human figure. Um, it doesn't look exactly like it does here in the, on this record, but you know, exaggerated limbs and twisting the body into different positions. You see a lot of that on the, on the background of the video. So I was like really happy to see that. That's fascinating. If you could give me the link for that, I'll put it into the show notes because that would be really good. And I'll try and contact her as well and tell her that we've talked about it. I've got one other little micro fact about her. All right. Oh, cool. she, she went She went to art school with Neil Arthur from Blumange. Oh, no way. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, how about that? And I remember this because there used to be a, like a, a record review program on one of the radio stations here in the UK and they'd play they'd play new releases, but they'd have pop stars talking about other pop stars songs. And and I think that this was one of the releases and Neil Arthur was on the panel. And I think that was what he said at the time, you know, oh, I went to art school with with the woman who did the record sleeve. Oh, that's oh cool. wow. I like that. <laughs> so I dropped that little fact into the into the, the pop-up piece I wrote about for the Depeche Mode special. I thought that's a little fact that no one will know. Let me say one more thing that uh, no one's really going to care about. But um, one, of the, one of the other reasons I chose this sleeve is because I was planning this big reveal with you guys. Because you know my love of the movie Xanadu. I've mentioned this on our show. And Andrew, <laughs> you were kind enough. You sent me. I own Xanadu on every format except for video disc, laser disc, whatever it's called. And for Christmas, I got a package from you and it was Xanadu on laser disc. So I now own Xanadu on every format. So I love it. Thank you very much. And um, one of the things that I think really impacted me growing up was that the main character in Xanadu, his entire career was he was an artist who worked for this company who would take a popular record album and he would paint a much larger version of the sleeve of the record. So it could be hung on a wall of a building. So his <laughs> entire career was just making big versions of artwork that somebody else created. And at some point in time, I think I said, that's what I want to do for my job. Because back when I was in 
10th grade, I think, I took this sleeve and I painted it into a three foot by three foot square. And I was going to, my plan was, I was going to have it here and I was going to, when I was done talking about it, unfurl it and hold it up over my head and show Sarah. (laughs) And I was going to send you a picture of me holding it and saying, don't open this picture until I tell you. And then you would open it and you would see me holding this, um, you know, 300% larger version of it called a heart. So I went to dig it out of my little, I have a, a closet of suitcases and things. And in back in the back corner there, I know I have all my old artwork. So I went to dig it out the other day, and it was no longer there. And as I was standing there looking at what artwork remained, I suddenly had a flashback to a point in time when we moved into our house and we were putting things in their place. And I said, you know, I should go through this artwork because not all of it's good. It, I only thought it was good because I was 15 years old. So I should just keep what is important. And evidently, my, re- my um, reproduction of It's Called a Heart did not make the cut. And oh. it was thrown in the garbage years ago oh that's sad that is is a tragic tale (laughs) and there's not even any photographs of it nope nope hard to believe that (laughs) that no one wanted to take a picture of that one (laughs) okay back to me again for this one i've picked an album that i don't own this time because it's a sleeve that I've always loved, and I love the work of the artist who, who did the painting for it, but I was never that much of a fan of the band. I did buy some singles, but they weren't a band like Depeche Mode where I bought every single release, so I've probably maybe got about four or five records by them. And the band is Spandau Ballet, and the album is Parade. That was Only When You Leave, which was the lead single from this album, which which I did buy because uh, it came with a free poster at the time of the of the album sleeve, which was a, a nice thing to do because it wasn't a picture of the band, it was an oil painting. And I thought that was a really unusual thing for, for a pop group to do, to include a poster inside the album, but not actually have a photograph of the band. <laughs> which yeah probably upset a lot of the fans who bought it but uh, it was basically just this big oil painting which was the original painting that was planned for the album sleeve but didn't quite fit in the end so they created another photograph another um, painting so the this cover is um, it, it shows if for those that aren't familiar with it it shows um, a gigantic sort of art deco style building and down at the base of the building sort of um, parading along in front of it are a group of people, um, all different kinds of party people really, or protesters or paraders, uh, from kind of political political people to there's a Chinese parade and there's people from the military, there's all sorts of different people, but the, the, the consistent link there is that they're all people on parade. And that was part of the idea behind the sleeve that Gary Kemp, who's the main writer for the band, had for it. He wanted this particular image, but he also wanted uh, an oil painting on there because he was very into art and design and particularly the the work of David Band who was the artist who did the painting that's hanging from the building on the cover. So just to read a little bit about this, the original plans for it, you know, we were talking before about the excesses of design in the 1980s and how people would do the most 
outlandish things. So his original idea, and I'm quoting from Number One magazine, was one of the ideas I had for the parade sleeve was to recreate the Beatles' Sergeant Pepper using people in the entertainment business from sports and politics that summed up the best of the 1980s. But it was too short notice to get it all together. It's quite a grand idea. So, but, but what they did do, I think, is equally equally uh, visually interesting. So all of those people parading along on the cover are are famous people. They're either from um, the, the music scene at the time, or they're actors or presenters or whatever. And I don't know if you if you could make it out, but there are three three women on it who are who are holding sort of walking along under a banner. And those three women are Samantha Fox who was a page three model back in the day. Page three is was the topless pages in the, the Sun newspaper. And then next to her is um, a young woman called Patsy Kensit. <laughs> no way. Who went on to be quite a famous actress and, of course, uh, lead singer of Eighth Wonder. And then the woman next to her is a woman called Sarah Green, who was a very famous TV presenter in the 80s. She did a lot of children's television presenting and she was married to uh, a DJ on, on uh, Radio One as well. So she was a very famous character around that time. And the, the person who's dressed as the jester was David Band himself, who created the painting. Uh-huh. And a lot of the, the other people are the fathers of the band members. So it's quite sweet, really, that they were able to bring all their friends and family into this particular image. I think it's a nice way of uh, paying tribute to the people who got you where you are, really. But back in the day, as I said, I wasn't a big Spandau Ballet fan, but I just loved this record cover. And I was lucky enough, partly because I used to spend most of my time hanging around in HMP, I was lucky to get to know the staff in the store. And they got a gigantic display version of this record sleeve. It must have been about four four or five foot tall and it was a 3d recreation of the album sleeve complete with real flags sticking out the top of the building wow i know and it was just the most brilliant thing and they gave it to me when when the album had finished its promotion they gave me this this in-store display which i had on my bedroom wall at my parents house and unfortunately a bit like your story of the uh your xanadu drawing unfortunately i i never kept it oh man that's too bad because Man, I wonder how much that cost to send a 3D reproduction of this to every record shop. <laughs> that, that happened a lot back in the 80s. You, I remember I had uh, for, for the Howard Jones album for Humans Lib, you know, that beautiful painting on the cover of that. Yeah. I, had, I had a giant version of that that was about four foot across as well. That's wow. awesome. My bedroom was almost like a record shop. I'd just kind of, you know, as, as a new record, I'd get the display. Oh, I'll have a new exhibition in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> this month's feature. So, yeah, that's the, that's the story behind it. And I've got a bit more sort of narrative about from this number one article, which is all about the making of the record sleeve, which I think was, a, a, well, for geeks like me, it's fascinating. So giving a bit more information from the number one article, um, Gary Kemp says, with Parade, we wanted to return to making the record sleeve important. So much had been done with videos while the record sleeves had just been passed over. But with the 12 inches that came out as well as genuine LPs, the sleeves have become so commonplace as to be almost disposable. The record sleeves an important part of an album. Unlike a promotional video, it's something permanent. I kind of agree with that, really. You know, people were very obsessed with videos and there was... I mean, record sleeves were, were important, but I don't think they held the same gravitas as videos did back then. Absolutely. Right. Well, they were the bright, shiny new thing, and record sleeves have been around for decades. Yeah. 
So again, from the number one article, there's a bit of information here about how, how the artwork came together. When David, and David Band and me get together to discuss new artwork ideas, it's never been done like a meeting. We just go out and get smashed and come up with loads of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Then in the morning, we sort out the bad from the not so bad. And David's great to work with. He's one of my best friends and we both share a keen interest in modern art. So getting David to do our sleeves is a good way of exploiting an artist's talent and getting him recognition. I think that's quite nice as well, really, that you can use your platform to to raise someone else's profile. Yeah, that's really great when uh, when you're trying to help others out and, you you know, when you've made it big and you want to help them out. That's That's really cool. I was an art student myself at that time, and I remember going to see the, the, one of David Band's exhibitions in London, and the original painting was actually in the exhibition. Um, so that was nice to see as well, the actual original oil painting. Can, can I ask you a question about the about this image? This building is not a real building, right? This is like a miniature? I think it's, yeah, I think it's a miniature. It's a bit Xanadu-esque, isn't it? <laughs> Very, yeah, that's the first thing I thought of <laughs> because I'm always thinking about Xanadu. But, like, it's really cool. You have, I guess I, I'm going to call the parade graphic a collage. Is that, would you consider that collage? Um, yeah, 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 it is, yeah, because it's, it's multiple layers going on, isn't it? So you've got a building that's been constructed a, a, a scale drawing, a scale building, and then you've got a painting that's been superimposed on top of that, and then you've got a group of people who've been photographed and put in front of that. So it's actually a really complex piece of design work. It is, it is, and it's like different, not genres, but medium, different medium. There, and then you have the very nice sunset photography, which is just sort of pretty photos, but oil paints, collage, miniatures, it's sculpture, I guess that would be. It's it's really a clever piece. It is. It's a. It's a quite a creative investment, really, for the record label. I think it must have cost a lot of money, and and that's why I picked it because I think it's a sleeve that's sort of gone by really, and nobody talks about particularly because it didn't have many massive singles on it like the first album did. You know, that had True and Gold and the the singles that people remember Spandau Ballet for. But for me, this was always a better album. I preferred the songs on it and I certainly preferred the artwork. Yeah, I had never seen this cover before this week when you sent it out. Because here in America, Spandau Ballet was really just known for True. Yeah, well, it's it's strange because I do know the song Only When You Leave, but I didn't learn of it until the early 2000s. However, when I did some research, apparently it got to number 34 on a, the Billboard Hot 100. Oh, did it? But I don't remember that being on the radio. Yeah, I don't either. So, from a big building to a crowded house, over to you. <laughs> Well, yes, I chose the the first album from the group Crowded House, and this is just a very, I think, an iconic image from the band um, of their work. And I think what's really interesting about this, there's sort of a little theme between the two choices that I picked because this artwork is also done by a member of the band. Um, this cover was painted by Nick Seymour, who's the bass player of Crowded House, and he's pictured there in the in the cover with uh, his hands kind of just hanging at his sides with his guitar. <laughs> He's standing on a hamburger, right? <laughs> it's not a hamburger. Oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, it kind of looks like one. So Nick Seymour has actually done all of the album covers for Crowded House. He He's also done a lot of the interior artwork on the albums. He's done stage design and the costumes for them as well. And in oh. fact, the, the coats that they're wearing in this cover 
they're based on designs that he made for them for their stage presence. And he, so he's, he's very much into art and design. He actually studied visual arts after finishing his secondary education. So he had, you know, some schooling and it wasn't just him wanting to do this. But of course, because he was a band member and he had, you know, I have a job and I'm the bass player. It was very hard for him to get approval to do the cover for the album because, you know, that's not what the band members do. They do the music. So luckily, I have the 2016 deluxe edition of this CD, and it came with a really nice booklet talking about the, the making of the album and all kinds of stuff. And on the very last page of the booklet included with the CD, there's a nice long quote from Nick about the artwork. And it says, after completing our first record together, I not only had to convince my bandmates, but also Capitol's head of creative services, Bill Burks, that I could confidently execute one of my teen dreams deliver an album cover. At the time, I was an admirer of Brit-born, New York-based political expressionist Sue Ko and Mexican painter Frida Kahlo. Ideas always make sense with a deadline, so Paul, who was a bed guy, astral traveling in pajama bottoms, <laughs> Neil in his fave color red, and me on a Naples yellow podium, which is a hard proportion color to make work, made perfect sense when threatened with being to blame for the album delivery holdup. I have often been asked why I depicted Paul as an angelic specter-like presence. I never for one minute entertained the thought of not growing old gracefully with him. And that's a reference, of course, to the fact that later in life, Paul Hester did take his own life. So here he's pictured as an angel, but it was, of course, long before that happened. And just a really interesting, not necessarily prescient, but very kind of weird thing that has happened now. But yeah, I think this is a really cool cover. I always thought, you know, this is one that struck my eye. I didn't have a lot of actual album covers or cassettes growing up. As If you listen to the podcast, one of the things that we talk about on our podcast is personal history. And most of my personal history is me getting a copy of a record from Brian. <laughs> but this is one that we did have, although I'm pretty sure it was actually my sister's <laughs> and I stole it from her. <laughs> So, but I always thought this was a really neat cover. And then once I learned it was done by the band member, I thought that was even more interesting. I was just going to say it is, isn't it? I mean, I know the work of Suko and Frida Kahlo and I wouldn't have connected them with this. I just think it's a really interesting painting. It's a bit of a conspiracist's dream, isn't it? As well, when you look at the Illuminati images in the, in the curtains there, there's a lot going on and the symbolism with the volcano and there's, you could spend ages trying to deconstruct it. Right. I know there's a lot of stuff going on here and it's interesting. I didn't know Sue Coe's work. I've known, I've seen Frida Kahlo's work here before and I, I could kind of see the, the kind of the cut and paste thing again, going on here with their heads and their bodies, not necessarily look like they go together. It looks a little weird. And I've seen some Frida Kahlo work that, that kind of has that same picture, like where she's on her head is on the animal or something like a goat. But what I thought was really cool was I found a, an influence from Sue Ko, I could definitely draw the line. There's a piece of hers called The Money Maze, and it's like a stage with people on it, and there are curtains on the side, and one of the curtains has pyramids on the one panel. And I uh, thought, oh, <laughs> well, here we go. Here we go. He's got the curtain, and he's got the panel, the pyramids, although his more look like the uh, on the back of the dollar bill. Mm. But it's still that money maze reference, I believe. I will, I've always thought that Neil looks very striking in this. I'm, I'm not a huge Crowded House fan. I've seen them live a couple times with you, and I always love it. I always like leave 
the concert saying that band is is awesome they're so great i wonder why i don't listen to them more but i just never listened to them so this record i knew the cover and i was you know everyone sort of heard don't dream it's over too many times so i never go and listen to this one but i don't remember neil ever having hair like the is that <laughs> yeah. like bleached uh-huh. red and orange hair? Yeah. I've never seen him look like that. I always wondered why he looked like that on this this picture. It was his thing back then in the early days of the band. Y'all, you'll see pictures of him with this kind of like he put sun in on it or something. Uh, yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just on. one more thing I wanted to mention about this uh, album cover kind of ties together again with the um, the single that I chose is the hand lettering. And I really like seeing hand lettering on things, you know, that's not certainly not as common as it used to be. But I, I really like this example here. And I like how the the bar, middle bar on the E and the crossbar on the H are kind of curved. And that just kind of gives it a little personality that you don't normally see. It has an almost circus-like quality to it, doesn't it? So we went from a parade to a circus. <laughs> we did indeed. For our final selection, we're going back to Brian, and he selected Jimmy Somerville's debut solo album, which was called Read My Lips. This is a, a great sleeve, one that I picked immediately when we decided that we were going to pick an album cover. For some reason, the first one that popped to my mind was this one, Read My Lips. I've always liked this one. So this was designed by the Me Company, and there aren't many credits on this record. There's a lot of producers on this record, so most of the small print that you find in, in the booklet here is just this track produced by so-and-so, this one produced by so-and-so, and in the booklet, it didn't even say who did the graphic design, and I was like, great, my first, my single... <laughs> <laughs> the artist only ever did three things ever, and this one, it doesn't even give a credit. But on the back of the CD jewel case, not not in the little booklet, but on the back of the CD, it does say, designed by the, by the Me Company. So the Me Company was established in 1985 by an artist named Paul White. And they became known for making graphics, which everyone thought were computer generated, but they really weren't. That was sort of their thing. And I think they established themselves really well with their um, relationship with the Sugar Cubes and then with Bjork. It seems everything I read about them, that's sort of how they, they made their name. But they would go on to do a lot of different things and even branch out from music. The covers that I know best from them when I looked at their collection of work was Erasure's The Circus and The Two Ring Circus. I remember really, really liking those sleeves and it turns out that the Me Company did those. They had that same sort of splashy, scribbly, illustrative quality to them, didn't they? I think that was the sort of uh, defining, again, signature style for, for the company that you can see on the Erasure stuff and on the Jimmy Somerville stuff and on the Sugar Cube stuff. It was it was very much uh, their thing. Yeah, they, they have some really interesting artwork. Even the records that I didn't know I was going through and looking at, they, they have... They did really nice work. I can see why they caught on. And and they do so well that they branch out. And these days they work with companies like Nike, Absolute Vodka, Coca-Cola, and Ford Motors, which is probably a good thing that they branched out and gotten out of music because I saw a quote from Paul for at some point in the mid-2000s. He said, I got tired of the music industry itself. I had had enough of hearing the same bullshit from people that seem to be getting progressively younger. <laughs> <laughs> so seems like maybe it was good that Paul took a break from 
from the music industry and moved on onwards and upwards. Yeah, if you go to their website now, the Me Company website, there is no trace of their former life. You know, it's all their current stuff. It's the companies that they've worked with now, the big names that Brian mentioned. You don't you don't even get a sense that they ever did album covers hardly at all. There's maybe like one little section on Bjork. It's mad, isn't it? Because if you look at something like Discogs, the the amount of record sleeves they did, so many of them. Yeah, there was a lot. Over 300 credits to, to their name. Yeah. It's sad, isn't it, when people kind of chop out a chunk of their history really like that. Kind of like when I threw away my reproduction of It's Called a Heart. It's, it's on par with <laughs> What Paul was, oh, yeah. what Paul did with the almost, history of his company. It's almost the same. <laughs> so go on, Brian. Anything else on that? Uh, yeah. So uh, this album was released in '89, and it peaked at number 29 in the UK, which I was surprised by because both of the previous Communards albums reached number four in the UK. So I found it kind of strange that it this only got up to number 29. But um, I remember at the time I was kind of confused by the artwork on this cover because it just it lacked the elegance of the Communard sleeves that I'd seen. And um, it wasn't political like the Bronski Beat album that I had. It was just, you know, it sort of seemed like a doodle. And I remember Don't Leave Me This Way, the single for that had like flat top silhouettes of mm. both Jimmy and Richard. And I was like, this move, you know, with this record to represent Jimmy by just his lips. Uh, I'm confused by this. I was wondering like, well, was Jimmy known in the UK for having really kissable lips? Like, is that his <laughs> trademark? Like, he went from this this great kind of um, political-looking silhouette with a flat top to just big sloppy lips. I don't know. So, um, but I decided, I think at the time, it must be like a love letter for his fans because the lips are, are placed in front of a big heart, and there's an X right in the middle of the lips. And here in the United States, we say XO when we write letters, and it means kiss hug. There's a certain anger to the image, though, isn't there as well? It doesn't look like a happy face. And I think that this album is is an angry album. It, whilst I agree with you that it's, it doesn't look political, the content of the album certainly is. You know, Oh, it, definitely. The, the, the spectre of AIDS sort of hangs heavy over the whole album. But at least, you know, I until you just said that, I never realized that this that this wasn't maybe a happy pair of lips. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've never seen it never noticed that and another thing that made me think that this was jimmy is the fact that up at the top corners there are two microphones it's like he's singing into two microphones like recording the record or something so but here in the here in the u.s we had one release for this one version of this sleeve and it was sort of like an orangish pair of lips with a very nice blue background but one of the things that you shared with me as we were sort of chatting leading up to the show is that in the uk you guys on vinyl at least you had four really excellent versions of this same illustration yeah it's another another example of design decadence of, of the period really that you know why why just have one album cover when you can have four <laughs> <laughs> so we have a pink background we have that blue one a purple and then on my graphic it looks gray but i think you called it silver and that's the one you went with right yeah it is it's it's a proper kind of nice shiny reflective silver and and just to add an extra special little bit of decadence to it, that each of the covers was printed inside as well. So inside the um, the silver sleeve, it was lined in pink. Oh, oh wow! To match the inside, you know, the, the lyric the lyric sleeve inside the, the the lining of the album matches that. What I do notice on the um, UK releases that there are triangle stickers or triangle um, oh, things yeah. on the top, and I thought, oh, that's a a definite reference, I believe. That is, yeah. That 
but that was a sticker on the shrink wrap. Yeah. It wasn't like a permanent part of the image. Right. We get that picture. We get that triangle, of course, on the Bronski beat, Age of Consent. And I guess that's a symbol that the record buyers are going to identify with, with Jimmy Somerville. Right. Yeah, possibly, yes. I think it's interesting as well that you saw those as microphones in the corner because I've never, ever thought of them as that. I've just seen the whole thing as a face. Their eyes and that's the lips. I, I don't know. Ever since the day I got it, I thought that was him like standing in front of the... I don't know why you'd record with two microphones, but uh, <laughs> that's sort of how I always thought that. I went to see him around this time. He did he did a tour for ACT UP, which is uh, an AIDS uh, political activist group. Um, and all the charity, all the, the money from the tour went to the, the ACT UP charity. And I bought, I've got the program here, or rather this sort of leaflet that, that we were given at the concert. And it says here that uh, he considered Read My Lips the best song he's ever written. Um, it's a song with a really potent message and it's emotional and it's angry at the same time. I'm really proud of it because I've done the disco anthem that has taken elements that made dance music what it is today. I've lifted the Enough is Enough bit from Donna Summer and Barbara Streisand's No More Tears and put it into a song that deals with anger and fear and tears and heartache and pride and it all ties up with my history, both politically and musically. It's so difficult to get across politics, emotion and anger in a four minute pop record and I think I've managed to achieve that. And I'd agree, I think. Oh, definitely, yeah. Absolutely. That's a song that you can, you know, you could, that comes on, you're going to run out to the dance floor. But then if you zone in on the lyrics and pay attention, you're going to sort of stop dancing and say like, you know, this song is, I'm out here dancing, but this is a serious, uh, a serious message, message being with, conveyed. You know, yep. Yeah. Jimmy also said that the whole album um, is about him and his life. Most of it was inspired by a relationship which lasted a year and a half and ended just as I was halfway through the album. So you've got some songs which are euphoric and the rest are sad about things coming to an end. When you saw him on that tour, was he also doing art songs at that point? Did he still throw those into the set No, I can't remember. He must have done because, yeah, he will have done because there wouldn't have really been enough of enough to fill a whole set would there i mean it was a, it was like a club tour as well. I, I think i might have seen them at the hacienda in manchester i'm sure oh. that's where where i saw him for this tour and i remember buying a giant a really massive uh, poster for the album that i had up in my first flat and it was sort of day glow yellow and pink this is all the colors of the album with the with the characters um that i bought at the concert and a, and a t-shirt as well. It's very into the merchandise at that time. <laughs> <laughs> just to, to go back briefly, just to the, to the colors, the cover, regardless of which of the four you pick, they're all very attractive. The one that I'm used to, the blue one with the orangish uh, lips, I think the palette of the artwork is really nice. It's kind of calming because like two thirds of the graphic are that nice, cool blue color. And then the rest is just that warm pink and the gray. I, I think it works really well as a package for the music contained within because a large portion of the songs on this record, they're dance songs, but they're kind of subdued. Um, there's a term that I didn't know at the time, I've just found it out recently, is like sophistapop. And you almost get some of that, I, I know it doesn't sound like Johnny Hates Jazz or Breathe, but like especially songs on the second half of the first side, Heaven Here on Earth, Don't Know What to Do Without You, Perfect Day, those songs just have a sophisticated sound to them, even though you can still dance to them, that I don't hear on any other Jimmy Somerville stuff up to this point. And I think that the graphic here and those colors works well with those three songs in particular. Mm. So thank you for that, Brian. Good choice, a good choice. Wait, did you have that album at the time? Oh, definitely. definitely. Oh yeah, he got yeah. that one right away. And I remember him sending me the lyrics to A Perfect Day in a letter he wrote to me from college. Aww. 
Oh, it came out <laughs> very close or on the same day as Wild, didn't it, by Erasure? Yeah, yeah, it was very close. Yeah, in time. October something. I remember that. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, I bought yeah. the, bought the two on the same day, and they were both designed by the same person, of course. Well, thank you both for joining me for this episode of Art on Your Sleeve. I hope it's been fun. Thank you so much for having us. This has been an absolute pleasure and a delight. It's a great treat always to get to talk with you. And you're always on our show and, and we love, love having you. But it's great to come here and sort of get out of our element because I'm the last person in the world to talk about art. So it was fun to try to step up and play the play the game here on Art on Your Sleeve. I'm re- I really like the selections as well, because ju- just to give a bit of background to people listening, we didn't really talk about what we were going to pick. We picked our selections privately and then just said this is what we're having so it's quite nice that there's some sort of thematic connections between some of the artwork as well thank you both again and uh, i look forward to the next edition of the permanent record podcast thank you very much andrew bye-bye